And welcome everyone to Leadership Redefined. We uh, have a number of people on the call today. It's kind of Leadership Redefined and Children First Education combined, right, Mike and Rich? Um, so uh, we have actually two, uh, uh, I guess, former students of St. John's and now both doctors uh, that uh, did some really interesting uh, research on uh, Finland uh, schools and actually compared it uh, to what we do here in the States, in New York in particular, correct? I'll let you guys talk about it. We have uh, Dr. Kimberly Licato and Dr. Jackie Amarato. Uh, welcome. Well, thank, thank you very much. And we also have Dr. Richard Bernardo. How are you? Hi, good uh, to see you. And we have uh, Dr. Michael Hines as a, a guest Hopefully, he'll become a permanent, you know, host with us, but, you know, guest, at least for now, uh, person for this show. Uh, welcome, Mike. Thank you. Hi, everybody. So, I guess, uh, Kim, if you want to start, just talk about what you did for your uh, dissertation and um, sort of maybe a quick summary, if you could, of what you found. And then, Jackie, you as well. If it overlaps at all, you know, I know you guys have worked a lot together. If it overlaps at all, you guys can kind of jump in and, and discuss uh, as, as needed. Okay. Uh, Jackie and I had the opportunity to study the Finland uh, schools back in 2015 in the fall. Um, we kind of had two different lenses we were looking for, um, and we had an opportunity to visit students and schools at the uh, starting in grade one up until 12th grade, as well as the university level. Uh, my studies were centered on the um, teacher aspect of how teachers in, are, are prepared in Finland and how they are prepared to become um, teachers in, in the country. So uh, we did a lot of interviews and different, um, different uh, classroom observations and things like that. And one of the glaring things that I saw that was a difference between here and New York State, uh, Finland and New York State, was um, just the, the process in which the, in which the candidates were um, applying for the, the positions of being in the university level to become teachers and the processes they had to go to and go through in order to um, really be part of the, the teacher preparation programs. And it involved things like um, interview processes and group, uh, group dynamics and really taking a look at the candidates and how they work with other people, as well as uh, much research-based stuff and articles that they really had to read based on pedagogy and um, really preparing themselves to be researchers in the field. And so what I did was I kind of started where Kim left off and took a look at what educators needed to perform in um, reform. So in change and, and implementing change and seeing change through to success. And I took three countries based on the PISA scores, the top three performing countries, and those at that time were Finland, Singapore, and Ontario, Canada. And we looked at then what those people did, those educational leaders did in their training and background, what they had in their, their wheelhouse in order to put in change. Um, and it was interesting for me because Kim was instrumental in letting me know what the teachers did in their schooling and education. And obviously those teachers then moved on to the educational leadership roles. So it was really important to have a very solid understanding of how they were prepared as teachers before they became leaders. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, and you guys, and you guys both went to, uh, Finland, correct? Correct. We had the opportunity to go to Finland for about a week. We stayed in Helsinki, the capital of Finland, and went to surrounding districts around the capital and in the capital. And then we met with several professors at the University of Helsinki, which is their, one of their main teaching colleges. 
All right. So, so the first question we have, and I'm going to, we usually ask um, uh, guests to define innovative leadership in the educational space. And what I'd love for you guys to do, and I'm not throwing a curveball. I think you'll be able to answer this. If you can't, that's okay. Uh, uh, what define innovative leadership uh, sort of in Finland or what you saw in Finland uh, sort of, and then verse here, uh, in, in the States, if you could juxtapose those or sort of differentiate those pieces and, and Mike and Rich jump in and ask questions off of that or new questions as well. But that's what I, I think I'm, I'm interested in hearing, um, uh, to start anyway. Okay. I'll start Kim. Um, the, the glaring thing that we saw overall is not that Finland's coming up with brand new things. It's not that they're creating ideas that are unique to them. They've actually taken a lot of what we have done here in the United States and fine-tuned it. And one of the things that they've done is they've planned well. They've prepared their everybody involved well before they've executed something. So if we take even cooperative learning, that's huge out in Finland. Every place we saw it was the um, – cooperative learning scenario, working, learning how to work with others, those that are um, superior at a particular task and those are, that let's say are inferior and learning how to collaborate. That We invented that. The United States started with um, cooperative learning. So for me, it was seeing that idea from beginning to end, well implemented, well executed, reevaluated and then redirected and all, starting all over again in the cycle. Could I put words in your mouth, Jackie? Yes, you can. Do they future it? Yeah. So, you know, we're going to get to that. But futuring is huge. The whole concept of learning how to to change and what change looks like at every level um, is embedded in not only their undergraduate or their teacher um, certification, but as well deeply rooted in their leadership skills. And I think, I think one thing that they did a really great job in is anytime they had any kind of changes in regards to curriculum, it was a two-year process. It involved parents, student, interviewing parents, interviewing students, interviewing um, community members, and really properly rolling out any kind of change that is occurring within the country in regards to curriculum. Um, also, always going back to the whole child approach, um, regardless of the situation or the scenario. Um, I remember very clearly this one elementary principal um, was wearing sneakers one of the first days we got there. And I said to her, with all due respect, you know, being a principal here in this country, is that acceptable? And she looked at me and said, I work with children. What else would I be wearing? And that was what it kept going back to. And, and it, it really, and she had driven, ridden her bike to school 20 miles to get to school that day. But every single decision that they make goes back to how is this going to impact the child, including when they make curriculum changes at the national level. Hmm. So my, my question is, Mike, I know you had something ready. <laughs> so so let, let's pretend um, you were able to go back to Finland, and this time you can go there for two weeks. What would you do? I don't want to say differently, but what would you do now knowing what you know, and what would you look for? Well, um I would like to know how they rolled out their recent changes in their curriculum, where they're moving more to a standards-based type of situation. Um, Finland habitually hasn't done assessments of grading along the way that we have. We, we did see a lot of that, but they've changed their curriculum to be more inclusive of project-based learning, and I'd like to see how we were there for the conversations for the setup. I'd like to see how that's been rolled out, and I'd also like to see the part that um, They've reflected, regrouped, and, and then kind of changed their path and see what caused that, those, those slight changes or deviations from their original plan, what caused that? 
Kim? From an equity standpoint, because I mean, we know equity in Finland, that's extremely important, right? From what I understand, if you go to school X, to school Y, school Z, I mean, from the most part, from what I, what I gather, is that there's equity uh, amongst the schools as far as resources and everything else. Is that fair to say? Did you notice that? Yeah. We, we had many a conversations with administrators while we were there, and one of the things that they kept going back to is they said, in the United States, you guys waste so much time waiting for CSE meetings and IST meetings in the process. They said immediately, as soon as we see a weakness in a child, we take care of it from day one. We don't wait. And that was, to me, like a, a, a huge difference in the way that even special education is rolled out because they don't consider it special education. They consider that every child learns differently and what's the best way they learn and let's give them the tools. Wow. So, so is there any, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I promised myself I wouldn't ask you any questions. Mike is like, this is like, a, this is this is like a kid in a candy shop right now, you know? Yeah. So, so since you've been there, what have you brought back to your institutions and have moved forward? And how would you say it's, 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 uh, it's, it's worked out so far? Um, I'm going to start because I have the duality of both being a department chairperson and also still being in the classroom. So I've moved to a minimalist mentality in my classroom. We have flexible seating. My walls are not decorated unless it's student-centered and students have created or students have requested it. Um, I do not give as many quizzes, so to say. There's just big checkpoints where the students, it's more project-based learning where the students have different parts that they build up to it. I've also stepped away from um, being the leader of the classroom and I allow the students to do it. Now I also teach high school so it's a little bit easier um, than say some of, the, some of the younger grades, but it's completely changed the way that I view students learning. Um, and what I constantly say to my students since I've been back, because we heard this when we were there, is when a student says I can't do, I don't like it, I use this, I make them say I can't do this yet and here's what I need to practice. So that has totally reformed the way I, I've thought, especially in the testing area. Uh, and for myself, um, you know, I work with discipline, obviously, working in a building level administration position. Um, my entire philosophy on children when they are getting in trouble, for example, um, you know, has completely changed on how to, how to deal with different disciplinary issues. Um, I rarely, if never, take away recess time as a punishment. Um, those are the type of kids that need to run around and be outside and whatnot. Um, I take it as a learning opportunity and I have more of a focus on the social emotional learning of the child and, and what kind of lessons can we get out of whatever mistake they had made. So to me, um, my biggest takeaway was the, is the recess time. Um, I had a teacher last year at, at one of my elementary schools that decided that she, based on the blogs that I had written to, to, to give uh, extra recess in the morning in a fourth grade classroom every day on a daily basis. And she saw a tremendous um, improvement in um, a, a reduction of disciplinary issues and, and ADD and things like that because of this extra 15 minutes that she was giving her students every morning. So to me, the big takeaway was, was recess time and the importance of it and not to use that as a tool to punish students if they have an issue in school, but to take a little bit more of a social emotional look at the child um, and how we can help them succeed in school properly. For us here, Grow, uh, mindset, mindfulness is brand new. For them, it's, in, it's embedded in who they are. It's been always been part of their teaching and their curriculum and their studies. So that is something that I definitely have brought over into the classroom. Kim and I were able to experience um, a teacher in a classroom in the middle of the class getting up and telling the kids to do yoga, taking, learning how, and it's 
it had nothing to, it wasn't a phys ed class I think actually it was a foreign language class students learning how to breathe learning how to center themselves this is all embedded in the curriculum yeah. how was how the teachers lounge by the way oh my gosh amazing right <laughs> unbelievable I mean just massage chairs and little coffee stations and it, it reminds me of almost of also of a university type offices with many books around and working areas. It was just great. And the focus there is on environment. And so there were no throwaway cups. There was a dishwasher. Everything was focused on maintaining the environment, improving the environment and being thrifty as well from that point. But it also making a cup of coffee allowed people to talk and that we saw a lot of that going on talking and collaborating in the teacher centers. Mm -hmm. How, how do you, I know that you know the answer to this better than I do, so uh, I'm not sure when my question is going to finish, but here it comes. This wasn't the way it always was in, in Finland, if I recall correctly. They were running the same kind of uh, hierarchical uh, system for the most part that we have run and continue to run, unfortunately. And then something changed them. I don't know what that something is, and hopefully you can maybe fill that piece in. And somehow, to come back to your whole word of change and, and my word of innovation today, somehow, as you said before, they thought this through. Can, can you speak some more about how they pulled this, this whole 180 on what happens, happened there and what happens there now and continues to evolve? Well, post-World War II, Finland needed to regroup, so to speak, and they had to move from a farming-type industry um, mainstay into uh, developing for being able to sustain themselves. Finland is very close to Russia, very much influenced at, at, at points, very much influenced by the Soviet Union, and Finland definitely wanted to substantiate itself as its own place with its own economy and with its own identity. Um, so part of the transformation was going from, similar to the Industrial Revolution here, but moving their population from that type of farming mentality to something that's going to be able to produce what the, what the city, town, community, country wanted in the sense of always being able to um, be part of the global market. And so they're always, even with Nikon, bringing Nikon. So there was always a close connection between what industry wanted and what the schools were teaching. And that's one thing Finland did great coming out 1950, 60, 70, is they started to really have close contact with the communication with industry needed X, Y, and Z. And so that became part of the curriculum. And I remember a, a very important question we had we had asked uh, at one of the schools, and um, they, it just was very apparent the the connection between the community and the schools themselves. They actually did many surveys and said, "What are what, when we when we have students that graduate from the university programs? What are they lacking in?" And one of the things that they were lacking in was public speaking and the public speaking skills because Finnish people tend to be a little shyer. So they took that and they developed curriculum around the fact that. Their, their students who are going to eventually be in the workplace need to be more well-versed in the area of public speaking and more comfortable with it. So there was always that constant connection between the home, the school, and the, and the community. That's great. So I'm hearing, I'm hearing, putting words in both of your mouths, so I'm hearing that it was a matter of national will to do this transformation. Yeah, they're always looking to improve, and where are they lacking? What, what are the skills that they're lacking in as people, as individuals and how can we improve as a society so there's a, a true buy-in um, from, from the community and how to make mm. things better for that country 
And also, too, Finland is the size of maybe just smaller than New York State. So it's easier as a country than what we have to deal with here in the United States. So that has led to a lot of continuity and program, which has been very beneficial and has also moved, moved the um, change process along quicker than maybe we have been able to do here. So we have thousands of colleges that are teacher colleges in Finland. It's, it's less than 20. And of those 20, they're all affiliated with a school nearby that they send their teachers to mm. for training so that's you know that alone puts them lightly years ahead of us by having the continuity of the understanding of what's important and an agreement on that or, or at least consensus on it as well as being able to train the teachers in a like manner um, and then using those satellite schools that the, the K through 12 satellite schools that are there to teach teachers to teach while working closely with the university it's phenomenal to see and so if an innovation, an innovative premise idea comes, comes, you know, drops out of the sky, they don't go whole hog. I'm asking. They don't go whole hog. They, they, have, they will have thought it through front to back. It would have futured for it, to use my words again, in order before it becomes uh, my word again. I'm not sure I like this word. I think uh, the law of the land. I'm, I know I don't like that phrase, but I'm going to use it for the moment. Um, well, I don't know if Laura of the Land is, is the way to go because I think they're yeah. given the freedom to be creative. Um, and Kim, jump in if I, get, if I get this part wrong. When we were there, we saw a dog walking through one of the high schools and, and a black lab, I think it was, just roaming, roaming around. And so we actually went up to this foreign language class and the dog came in the classroom with us and sat down. And the foreign language teacher was the one who brought the dog to school. And so, of course, we started finding out why and what she did. She said she did a ton of research to validate to the, her principal at the time why having a dog would help with the social emotional feelings of several of the students, as long, of course, there was training and all that went with the dog. And she said it took her a couple of years, but she was, she bombarded her uh, building principal as well as above with information that was so compelling and research that was so well thought out and deep that there was no way they could say no to it. And then field tested, little here, little there, and expanded on it, got the students' reaction, parents' reaction, and it became an everyday mainstay part of the course. And actually when we're sitting there, the dog come and goes. It goes in and out of different classrooms where the dog feels he needs to be. That's great. I'm sorry, Kim, go ahead. Sorry, even when we observed classes such as we were in a technology classroom as well as a home ec class, everything they do had purpose and everything they did um, went back to the community. For example, we were in a home ec class and they were sewing gloves and scarves for the local, um, the local um, orphanage. We went to a technology class and they were creating toys to give again back to the local orphanage. So everything had a purpose. It was skills that they were learning, life skills, and it was brought back to the community. Okay, so the plan for the, the dog was research-based. The teacher brought in, in the information. The plans that Kim said about the students in the classroom, they didn't start by making stuff. They started by going and visiting these two locations, the nursing home and the hospital, and asking, what are the needs here? What are you deficient on? What can we do? And then they did the research. They, they pulled together their data, and that's how they came about creating these items. So it's, it's a very complete, comprehensive project-based and, and you mentioned before, one of our questions, and you've answered, you know, some examples of innovation. Um, you've answered a little bit of the sustainability. Earlier on, you mentioned uh, the reflective piece, but how are they sure that this stuff is, is truly innovative, that it, it sort of sticks? And what are some of those maybe conditions that uh, dictate, you know, the innovation is, is effective, 
It's going to be around for a while. Like, what are some of the things that you saw there that, that can sort of ensure that? Hmm. As far as from the educator's perspective or the results base? Well, I mean, how do they, they if they, if you take, for example, um, the, 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 the dog that was allowed in the buildings and um, the, what they did for that process, how do they make sure that that's um, a truly uh, innovative thing that's going to sort of stick? Like what, what, what do they do to make sure? And like I said before, you mentioned a reflective piece a little bit, but what do they do to sort of make, make sure that these really unique and innovative ideas have staying power and they sustain them. Yeah. And they're right. yeah, sustain them. So there's a check and balance part of it. The teacher with the dog had to report out to her supervisors and then also had to continue with the research. A lot of hers in this particular scenario was anecdotal. The, the students said that they felt calmer when the dog was there. Um, so in that scenario, that was, uh, that was her following up, giving her observations of it and continuing the process and meeting ongoing with supervisors. In regards to leadership and the innovation of leadership, I think that um, the creation of leaders that can plan forward and they're thinking about how to continuously adapt and change and set up where things aren't going to be met with so much controversy, whether it's on a public level, whether it's on a state level, whether it's on a community level, is also exceptionally powerful to their sustainability of different endeavors. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, the, the reflection piece is just embedded in their culture, and so is the relational trust between you know the parents and the community and the schools and things like that. So I think there's a constant reflection and you know, you know, they do something, they reflect, they do something, they reflect in the teaching profession as well as across the board. Excellent. Uh, Mike, Rich, you follow, uh, let, any final questions that you have? I'm going to defer to Mike. I've been talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, any last bit of questions? My, my, my last question has to do from 30,000 feet. So, you know, with the Finnish ministry and, and as far as policy making and, and all that, did you glean any insight as far as what teachers or administrators thought about their let's say for lack of a better word, their board of regents or the U.S. Department of Education and, and the way they roll things out? Well, in comparison to ours, which they were somewhat up on, they are happy with what they have. Um, I do think that the majority of teachers would always say they would like more money for, for certain things, but that wasn't a, a prevailing theme. They do like the ability to make it their own. So even though the, the Finland has rolled out changes in their, in their curriculum, throughout their, their pre-work, the two to three years that before the actual rollout, every, um, every community and every building had the opportunity to make it their own and make it work within their structure. And the teachers spoke about that, that they were very happy with that aspect of it. Yeah, there's a, there's a true sense of collaboration across the board in, in any kind of changes that changes that occurred in any of the institutions there. I mean, so so you didn't view or hear or perceive anything in regard to, oh, here comes another thing coming down the road. You know, there's no support. You know, you didn't hear any of that type of conversation like we do here in New York. Absolutely not. And we, we went there during a very difficult, you know, the, the Common Core was a mess and there were situations going on. And we just had nothing but positive comments, you know, because it really is truly a, a collaborative effort education. Like I right. said, 
they make changes to the curriculum, they interview the parents, they interview the kids, and it goes back to what's gonna help us as a society and help us move forward. Yeah, just like we do here. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and when we were there, it was just the beginning of the Syrian refugee situation, and they were preparing to take in students from Syria. And that was the, the, some of the preparation that we got to talk to um, one of the principals about was, so what is this gonna look like? And her main thing was, we're going to problem solve and we're going to figure it out. They strongly believe that they need to home, they need to school the students in their first language as well. And right now they're dealing with approximately 44 different languages. Um, so, but the whole thing of, well, this is, we're, we're going to problem solve. We're going to vet this out. We're going to come to um, some understanding of what the needs are for everyone. And so when, when it's being said in here, in our context of this is being thrown at us, there's no support. The support problem is already embedded in the planning process. I, I don't believe they have board of educations over there either. No, they don't. No. no. <laughs> but we, we talked about that. Like, right? Yeah. You know, in terms of administrative, real fast, in terms yeah. of administrative leadership preparation, you know, if you look at how New York State develops its lead and certifies its leaders, and there's, there's a standard for problem solving and you know, planning ahead and thorough collaboration premises. But you, I really have to wonder whether that's whether folks really have had, had an opportunity to learn that to bring it back into the real world when they finally do get those leadership jobs. It's troublesome, very troublesome. Mm -hmm. Well, and you, for in regards to the Finland training, you can't start at the, at the te at when the person becomes a leader. You have to actually start as when they walk into the education field as their undergraduate work because they're revered there. Teaching is up on that level as uh, medical and uh, lawyers are. So the best of the best are going into the profession and then the best of the best are being trained in deep research as well as special ed, regardless of what they're teaching. So when you start from that pool and then transcend over into studying to become leaders, it's, it's a different starting point than where many of us have started here. Yeah. Well said. Um, Additionally, and I don't know if, if we've brought this up, leaders can come and go. So what I mean by that is if let's say you decide to become a principal for five years and you want to go back into the teaching, you can without any penalty. And that I think brings some different perspective and life into it that we may or may not have here. It'd be interesting to, to parallel that between, that could be a good research topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you so much. I mean, from from what we, I mean, we could we can go all day looking at some of the things that you guys brought up and talked about, um, and uh, you could look at it from glass half full or half empty. Um, you know, uh, Finland's roughly the size of New York State, so then why can't New York State or other states right. do too, right? Um, mm -hmm. But you also spoke about a very very much systematic. Um, almost virus here in the States that it has to be changed from uh, undergraduate uh, all the way on through uh, to change within education and in schools. Uh, so it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an issue that we're trying to resolve, Mike and Rich and, and Anthony as well, by getting the word out, out there. And you guys did an amazing job of outlining it, showcasing some of the stuff that is going on uh, abroad and Mike, you'll you'll get some more of that information next week as you travel over there. Uh, but thank you so much, guys. Very much appreciate your time and what you contributed to the conversation. And we would love, love, love to have you back on either this show or uh, the one that Mike and I do, Children First Education, to talk about more of the conditions, um, positive conditions that uh, the children have 
Um, you know, we didn't get into Singapore uh, at all, uh, Jackie, but we could talk about those other areas as well uh, in, in, uh, in conversations that follow. So thank you so much. Thank Great. you for the opportunity. No, no problem. Thank you, guys.